Welcome to Finance Feeds Podcasts. Finance Feeds is the world's premier interactive Forex industry news source, providing the latest insights and current affairs from within the online trading industry worldwide. Enjoy our latest podcast episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Finance Feeds Podcast. This is episode 10. Uh, my name is Nikolai Isaev. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Finance Feeds. Joining me today is Anya Ratovska, who is Vice President of Institutional Effects at Advanced Markets Group. Anya, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me, Nikolai. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you is, last time we saw each other uh, was in June of this year at the IFX Expo in Cyprus. Uh, I remember, you, I think you had a panel discussion there, and I wanted to know uh, what your impressions were of that event and how you've been spending your summer. Perhaps you've attended other industry events uh, over the last few months. Yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, let's start with the sentiment that I love B2B Expos. Uh, as an extrovert, I love talking to people face to face. And uh, generally speaking, people have much nicer personalities uh, when they talk to you in person. Um, going back to your question, um, Cyprus Expo was pretty crowded uh, this year, uh, crowded with service providers, uh, payment providers in particular, uh, but it was still good uh, as I managed uh, to meet new people. Uh, I almost always use Expos as a reason uh, to visit clients in nearby countries. And after Cyprus, I went to Switzerland and uh, meet family offices and uh, Fund management companies. Mm -hmm. Summer, summer was indeed a busy time. Great. Did you get to enjoy yourself on a personal level, though? At least <laughs> at some point. Not, not this summer. <laughs> wow, busy, busy. <laughs> busy, busy, busy. So yes. I, I wanted to get a sort of down to business right away um, because I, I've seen that um, you've been uh, quite active on LinkedIn in speaking about the so-called pre-hedging practices and institutional effects. I think you wrote uh, a paper or two or an article or two on LinkedIn. And one of the things that you had focused on was the ESMA consultation paper regarding these specific uh, practices. And I wanted to know, um, you know, what should our listeners know about the current situation surrounding the regulator's goals of determining if pre-hedging practices can be considered uh, what's called uh, front-running? Um, yeah, um, so first, why did ESMA even raise um, the pre-hedging question? Um, apparently, uh, the European regulator received quite a few stores. Uh, store uh, stands for suspicious transactions and order reports, I think, mm -hmm. um, related to pre-hedging behavior. Um, I don't think that pre-hedging is defined in European law, uh, so clarification was long overdue. Um, Front-running is not legal and uh, refers to the practice when liquidity providers uh, have private knowledge of client orders and take action on their account uh, with the intent of, uh, to impact the price. Pre-hedging uh, is legal uh, and refers to the similar practice uh, where liquidity provider also take, takes uh, uh, a hedge position in anticipation of an uncommon trade. Mm -hmm. But uh, the intent of action is crucial here. Um, ideally, pre-hedging practice uh, should be conducted uh, in order to provide the better or, or requested price mm -hmm. for the client, um, minimize risks of market impact, um, or help liquidity providers 
to mitigate their own risk. Uh, however, I I don't see how LP can liquidity provider can track and report um, like every prehedging transaction they do, or how LP can predict mm -hmm. uh, that prehedging will go in favor of the client, or how they can prove the good intent of pre-hedging. Mm -hmm. um, it, is, it is hard <laughs> to justify. I see. And um, uh, if, if we're speaking um, from a layperson's perspective, uh, who might not have a lot of understanding about this, is this essentially sort of, uh, you know, pre-hedging, is this something that we can compare to the uh, topic of last look uh, by institutional, institutional brokers? Because... The idea of last look is something that has been widely discussed over the years, uh, I think. Well, it, it, I guess it can be considered the first look, mm -hmm. uh, but keep in mind that ASMA stated pre-hedging should be more of an exception rather than the norm. Mm -hmm. um, I would agree with this statement. Um, and um, I mean, ASMA collected the data and feedback now. I'm. I'm curious myself about how they will structure their final recommendations mm -hmm. um, for using or not using pre-hedging. I see. And in your personal opinion, um, do you think that uh, whatever ESMA comes up with will be um, recommendatory in nature or something that might lead to some, some form of regulation down the line? I think it will be um, recommended uh, rather than mandated. Mm -hmm. uh, but again... I'm I'm waiting to see. <laughs> sure, as 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 are all of us as well. Um, yes. Uh, so, in terms of the prime prime of prime space, uh, I wanted to mention that one of my previous guests um, indicated sort of a potential shift uh, in that tier one players like Jefferies and Credit Suisse are exiting the space, and that potentially this might have an impact on access to credit. Now, I know access to credit has been a topic that's been widely discussed over the years, but would you echo the same sentiment uh, given what you're experiencing at advanced markets? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I wouldn't call it a shift. Uh, bigger venues exiting PB space didn't start yesterday. It, <laughs> it is indeed an ongoing process for years. Um, certain events tend to speed it up, uh, like the Archegas case for Credit Suisse. Um, and yes, so cash-rich companies uh, with decent balance sheets will pick up business uh, from bigger venues. Uh, there is an opportunity, uh, but uh, there is also risk. Um, institutional business is not as easy as many view it. Um, it has tighter margins um, and more uh, significant risk involved. Risks involved. Um, I mean, luckily, advanced market is owned by GFI Group um, and a few other strategic investors uh, with cash. Mm -hmm. So we can extend high credit lines to our selected uh, institutional clients, uh, but many venues just can't do that. I see. And um, I'm sure you've heard about this recently. The FX world was, uh, I guess, a bit shocked when Apple decided to unilaterally remove the MetaTrader 4 and MetaTrader 5 mobile trading apps, uh, apps from the App Store. Um, it, well, it appears, unfortunately, that this was really due to perhaps illegitimate or, or unlicensed brokers using MetaCode software via white labels. And that complaints regarding such parties led Apple to make their um, unilateral decision. 
Um, what do you think about this situation and what does the industry need to learn going forward? And how could this impact brokers' decisions on which trading technology to use in the future? Um, I personally think that all theories have the right to exist um, and should not be entirely rejected. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I'm positive about is that medicals will overcome these legal issues uh, one way or another. Mm -hmm. um, on the bright side, uh, retail forex brokers are finally becoming more proactive um, in adopting new trading platforms. And I'm a firm believer that healthy competition is necessary uh, for the industry. Um, hopefully, we will see a more diverse choice of trading platforms. Uh, decentralization is a popular uh, word now. Mm -hmm. Everyone talks about moving from Web 2 to Web 3. Uh, so maybe that is the process uh, happening in the retail specs, uh, retail effects space now. Um, and speaking about alternatives to um, MT4, uh, MT5, I, I actually created a very detailed comparison um, um, of what is available in the market today. And anyone is in, if, if anyone interested in it is welcome to PM me. Uh, I can share the list that has all the details, pricing, names, etc. Mm -hmm. And so you're approaching this from this uh, from a standpoint that we're not talking just about mobile trading platforms. We're talking about the whole suite of trading uh, of trading platforms that a broker uh, will offer to clients, right? That that is correct. That is correct. Uh, I'm talking about uh, brokers. Um, I mean, I've seen I've seen it uh, with my clients as well. Uh, brokers are not just looking to replace uh, a mobile offering. They're looking. Uh, to, uh, to have two or three or four or five uh, alternatives uh, to, you know, for their clients to trade. Mm -hmm. And how do you think this may impact sort of the idea of all asset trading or multi-asset trading? I know that MetaTrader was a very, or is still a very popular trading platform for many companies around the world, but it seemed to me, and again, I might be wrong, uh, but it seemed to me that over the years, over the last few years, MetaTrader perhaps um, had some technological or made a, maybe data processing restrictions that made it difficult for some retail brokers that offered many, many different types of asset classes that had different settings to be offered all in one platform. And I know that, you know, other platform technology providers out there that are um, either building their own proprietary platforms to, to sell to brokers or already have, you know, fixed solutions, um, they, don't, they never ran into these types of problems because they were able to develop their sort of software, you know, to encompass all assets. Do you think this will um, kind of speed up the adoption of multi-asset trading or all-asset trading, or are we already there? I think we're already there, um, and I I actually think that MetaQuotes is the leader, uh, no matter you know what uh, what issues they're experiencing now. Mm -hmm. um, no one can really uh, fully compete with them. With everything it has to do with you know servicing white labels or. Um, offering uh, multi-currencies, uh, accounts with multi-currency. Yes, I, I still believe that MetaQuotes uh, is the leader um, and uh, no one can really compete with them uh, just yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and yes, uh, the events of the last three weeks will speed up the process of adoption of new platforms, but I, I just don't see anyone uh, that is able to replace them fully.
mm-hmm. as of as of now. Mm-hmm. And uh, if if I could ask a, a a question with regards to advanced markets, if if you have a customer who is looking to switch platforms or change their trading technology as a result of what uh, of what happened to MetaQuotes. Um, uh, do you do you you know what kind of steps can you take proactively um, for your customers in ensuring that um, you know the business that they have with you can continue to function the same or better you know with a new trading technology in the future? Um, well, there are about ten, I would say, uh, platforms that can be compared to MT4, MT5, mm-hmm. and uh, Advanced Markets is currently integrated with all of them. Um, so we are prepared. <laughs> okay. So in other words, a client can really choose from from that list in a sense, and you will, yes. th- they'll be ready to go with advanced markets. That's right. Next week. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Awesome. Uh, well, I wanted to speak a little bit about your background, um, your education and experience. This is something that I uh, ask all of my guests. Um, just to find out sort of what influenced you to pursue a career in our industry and whether or not that happened by chance. So like, for example, um, a lot of my guests who are originally from Eastern Europe, uh, like you and I are, um, tell me math and science were subjects in school uh, that were mandatory, right, for studying. And that's something that uh, piqued their interest in financial markets going forward and sort of paved their way, you know, in terms of what they wanted to study in college and then uh, or university and then kind of what happened to them following college and university in terms of entering our industry. Um, could you speak a little bit more about that? Mm, yeah, uh, well, I, I was never into math and science when I was <laughs> in school, to be, to be honest. Uh, my original background is in education. Um, I spent about four years in Russia working with orphans um, and um, kids with mental disabilities, mm-hmm. uh, teaching history uh, during the school year and traveling as a camp counselor during the summers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that experience helped me to get into the U.S. and settle here. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Northeastern University in Boston to study finance uh, because it was a popular degree back then. Um, and that is when I become curious about the facts and uh, uh, opened my first trading account uh, at FXCM. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking that uh, FX trading will help me to pay off my student loans. Um, and I mean, it, was, it was going well. Uh, and one day um, when I was loading uh, the MT4 platform, I noticed that it says FXCM powered by Boston Technologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I instantly thought, oh, I'm in Boston. <laughs> it would be brilliant to work for them um, and to learn the industry from the inside. And uh, it, should, it should help me with my trading. So I networked uh, a lot and was invited for an interview mm-hmm. and um, they were not hiring at the time at Boston Technologies, but I guess I, I was convincing uh, and uh, intern role was created uh, for me. And after two months as an intern, I accepted the full-time job offer. Wow. That, that, that's, that's, that's the rest of the history. <laughs> that's, a, that's quite a story. That's quite a story. So, so uh, you had opened your FX, uh, did you have a demo account at FXTM before you started trading live funds? Or, I mean... No, it was live right away. It was, you went live right away. I went live, yes. And uh, I'm assuming that during your, uh, finan- during your um, education, right, for your 
finance degree or whatever it was, I mean, did you have courses during your university tenure that kind of helped you immerse yourself in FX so that when, when you started trading, you already knew what you were doing or? There were some courses, but they were not, not related to, um, to FX at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just, I saw it somewhere in the book or I saw it somewhere, uh, probably, uh, in some, uh, I don't know, some videos that teacher was sharing with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's how I got the idea, but I wasn't necessarily studying it. No. Mm -hmm. And are you, do you continue to trade, uh, uh, uh up until today or is not now? No, no, no? <laughs> not now. No. Okay. I see. Don't ask me why. Just not now. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I mean, I, 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 I think if I think if I was in your shoes and I had started a, a full time job, you know, after university, like you did, I would be too busy probably to, um, to focus on the markets, especially at that time when you know a lot of these mobile. We just talked about mobile trading technology, right? Uh, some of these tools that we have today may not have been available, you know, five, seven, eight, ten years ago, right? So it may have been a bit more difficult to follow the market if you're a very busy person during the day, you know, with a full-time job. So that's completely, <laughs> that's completely understandable. Um, so you mentioned Boston Technologies that was here on the East coast um, of the U S uh, but then your career progressed um, later at Fortex in California. Right. Um, wondering what kind of made you um, make the, make the change, you know, geographically uh, and everything like that. Uh, well, with Boston Technologies, I spent about seven years uh, and I, I tried all possible positions. I was a risk analyst uh, doing reconciliations, uh, working with MySQL, I worked in trade support, configurations, departments, and I, then I settled in sales and marketing. Um, and in 2015, uh, in Boston Technologies and its sister company, Boston Prime, went out of business. Mm -hmm. Um, so I joined a, a joint venture of Fortex in advanced markets. Um, I stayed in Boston. I didn't go anywhere. Oh. Uh, there was a, actually a brand new office uh, created for that joint venture. Um, and that is when I started uh, selling hosting, aggregation systems, white labels, liquidity. Um, and in 2020, uh, Fortex and Advanced Markets uh, split up. So I stayed with purely with Advanced Markets. Mm, I see. I and see. I was in Boston. I was in Boston all this time. Yes. I see. So that's my mistake. I saw that on it, it said Fortex in California on LinkedIn. So I assumed that maybe you had you had a nice, you know, a uh, few years on the West Coast, perhaps. But um, I guess, uh, I guess no, not. I wasn't laughing Boston with that time. No, I wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't, uh, nothing would make me move. <laughs> um, and, um, so, uh, Boston technologies, the joint venture with Fortex, um, you mentioned all of the different roles you played, um, you know, at these ventures. I'm, uh, so they, they really helped you sort of grow your understanding of the industry, the back end, sort of the things happening on the back end, the things happening on the front end and coupled with your education and experience. Um, and things like that, you are now, uh, are you primarily in a sales role today at Advanced Markets? Yes, I'm in um, sales, yes, in uh, institutional sales and marketing role uh, right now. Mm, great. Um, and actually, in our, uh, in our personal conversations that uh, you and I had recently, you mentioned that you live in Naples, Florida with your family. Now, I know the area 
recently experienced a severe hurricane. And I hope, and we here at Finance Beats hope that your family and livelihood were not significantly impacted. I don't know if you want to talk about that or not. I wanted to really ask you more about sort of uh, what life is uh, like on the West Coast of Florida these days and how it compares to your experience, you know, in the Northeast where you lived for quite a long time. Well, I I just recently moved to Naples um, uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, It is a beautiful small city in the Mexican Gulf, very quiet. Uh, After 12 13, 13 years living in Boston, uh, right in the city next to Prudential Center. It was quite a change. Mm-hmm. Um, all, I think all northern states um, are driven by big corporations in U.S., like universities, pharmaceutical companies, tech companies. Um, Florida is a state full of small business owners uh, and retired people. So demographics are different, very different. Uh, and so is political views. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking uh, speaking about hurricanes, um, uh, the latest one, Ian, turned to Naples and Fort Myers at the last minute. Um, so we weren't as prepared and the city suffered so much. Um, I lived close uh, to the beach and was flooded, uh, but not as hard as uh, some of my neighbors. Uh, what, I, what really impressed me actually uh, is that this big community effort and cleaning everything up and helping, uh, it was it was just incredible. Uh, and uh, based on what I've seen in the last uh, few weeks, I'm I'm sure Naples will be ready for tourists. Uh, Floridians uh, call tourists snowbirds, mm-hmm. uh, so they will be ready for for tourists probably in a few months. Mm-hmm. I see. And, um, you know, outside of hurricanes with you and your family, um, what do you guys typically do in Florida? It's probably hot, I would assume, most of the year. Do you guys do you do like any kind of water sports? Maybe you like surf kayak or something like that or paddleboard? <laughs> yeah, well, we work. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and as as for sports, uh, uh, I mean, I don't do any water sports. I'm not even a summer person. Oh, I, 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 don't, I don't mind winter and cold, uh, but um, since uh, we moved to Naples, uh, where the population is much older uh, compared to Boston, mm-hmm. I started to do things that people do when they are retired, uh, enjoying morning runs on the beach, uh, playing tennis, uh, drinking wine and watching the sunset, uh, taking ballroom dance lessons. Um, so all of, all of this actually go quite well for us. Uh, I wouldn't say that any of those things are, are things that old people do. I mean, you know, w- I didn't have time to do them. I didn't have time or, uh, a desire to do them when I was in Boston, mm-hmm. actually. Well, no, I could, I could see that. I, I, I could see how, how that could happen. And do you go back to Boston often, let's say for work, um, not no. I actually started to going outside of US more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started going more to Europe, uh, uh, to Asia, uh, to Dubai, um, and uh, I actually started to work more since <laughs> since I moved to Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's more a balanced lifestyle for me. And uh, what's your impression of all of these different you know uh, countries around the world that you visit? Is there any countries that sort of really um 
have an influence on you when you go there, perhaps so much so that you would ent- entertain moving to one of these countries at some point in the future for your, you know, work life sort of um, family? Mm, well, I think uh, as an Eastern European, I, I always have this idea in my head that I want to live on every single continent uh, at some point of my life. Uh, so I, I maybe, uh, I mean, advanced markets is, are currently uh, currently hiring a lot in uh, in our office in UK mm-hmm. um, so I would love to spend a little more time there uh, maybe in the future uh, and in Europe in general uh, because there there's still so much business there uh, and it's easier uh, with the time zones mm-hmm. yeah not- uh, but uh, but I mean every I mean every region every country is so unique that if I could I would live there for like a year or two mm-hmm. uh, just to um, just to experience just, just to experience it mm-hmm. uh, in a way yeah well i mean i think since you know um you, you are working a lot of us are working remotely these days right that's the new that's sort of the new standard or the new normal in a lot of uh, in a lot of industries I, I would think that that's something that could be possible in the future if you wanted to, um, if you wanted to do that. Um, uh, well, I, I wanted to ask you the the fall conference season has actually kicked off recently, and I actually I wanted to thank you for putting together. You put together a nice little article um, and synopsis of events that are going on until the year end. Um, I wanted to uh, know: Will we see you at the Finance Magnets London Summit? in november and uh perhaps there's other events that you will be attending you know november december or early next year that we should that we should know about oh yes i'll see you in london i already have my tickets in hand uh and i will most likely go in uh will go to asia uh in december or january Mm -hmm. um so yeah a lot of a lot of work uh i had (laughs) for this year so so the remaining of the year of course yeah, and uh, did you get a chance to attend? Um, uh, I think there was an IFX Expo in in Bangkok recently, and a few events in Dubai. Um, uh, no, I was in Dubai in May, um, and I'm planning to go back there in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I skipped uh, I skipped Asia and I skipped uh, uh, Dubai for uh, for September because there is also uh, an expo in Dubai. Uh, happening now like in october right yes there are a few There's events mm-hmm. few few events there so yes um i i i, I i'm gonna probably gonna do it in january so not now mm-hmm. as as will i i think as uh, uh as well um well anna thanks for taking the time to um join us today and talk about um you know your experience at advanced markets and your personal history and everything like that we're glad that your family and your you are safe after this um pretty devastating what looked like hurricane down there in Florida. Um, so we look forward to seeing you in London and we wish you best of luck um, throughout the end of the year. Thank you, Nicola. Thanks for listening to our latest Finance Feeds podcast episode. For sponsorship opportunities or to become a guest, please email us at info at financefeeds.com.